Well, I want to ask all the children to come forward so that they can get their one thing this morning and learn from God what he's teaching us about who he is and what he does and what he wants for us to have and all the good things that you can receive by loving him and by knowing his love and by receiving his love. All right. So good to see all of you. You can have a seat. I mean, I'll have a seat, too. I'll feel more comfortable that way. All right, I have a question. Today's, we're talking about questions. Um, and so my first question is this. How many of you have ever cried? How many of you have ever cried? Everybody, everybody cried here? I think just about everybody's cried, all right? Um, did you know that when you cry, God sees you crying? You know that? He sees. He's watching all the time. And he sees you crying. How do you think God feels when he sees you crying? He feels sad, right? And, and he doesn't want us to feel sad. But we do. We do. We do all the time. And, you know, there's a king in the Bible, maybe the most famous king in the Old Testament. What do you think his name was? King King David. And King David was very sad. He had been in a war, and he got captured, and now he was a prisoner. And so he was praying to God, and he was crying. He was crying. And he said a very special prayer. We're going to see it right now. And um, this very special prayer is right there, all right? And would you, would you read that with me? Okay, let's read it together. And adults, would you help out? Let's say it. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. Okay, you know what David was saying? He says, you see me when I cry. And you care about me so much that when I cry, you even collect my tears in a bottle. Now, I don't know if God really has a bottle up in heaven, but it's a good picture of what David was saying, was that God cares so much. Like, this is, what if this was my bottle of tears? This was my bottle of tears. And let's say that every time I cried, tears fell in there. This would be a very special bottle. It would bring about all the memories of things that happened when I cried. And like I said, and like you told me, all of us cry. What are some reasons why we cry? What are reasons, DJ? We get hurt. What are another? We don't get what we want. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. All right. What else? We feel sad. And why else? We get shots. That's a good one, Brian. And what else? We fall. That's right. And we get scrapes. We get hurt. Anything else? We get bullied. Now, that's a really important one where we cry. And God sees that. And we need to cry out to God for help there. And you can tell the teacher. And hopefully the teacher cares enough to do something about it. Right? But, and mom and dad, we should tell them. You know, we go through times in life where we go through such hard things and we cry. Now, Cameron, let me ask you this question. Do you think Jesus ever cried? Yes. You think so? When did, when did Jesus cry? How about somebody different? When did Jesus cry? When they nailed him on the cross. I'm sure that he cried. It hurt. Why else? When else did he cry? Maybe because of David, like, um, had people 
Mm -hmm. like going just through a really, really tough time. And why else? The thorns on his head. That must have hurt so much. But you know what? One more, Andy. Lazarus died. And that's exactly where we are in the story this week. That Jesus had some friends. And the friends' name were Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So two sisters and a brother. And Lazarus was very, very sick. So sick that he might die. And so they called Jesus. They said, Jesus, come and see Lazarus. But before Jesus could get to Lazarus in time, Lazarus died. And Jesus came, and Martha ran out to Jesus, and she was crying. She said, oh, Jesus, Lazarus died. And then Mary came out, and Mary said, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, Lazarus died. And so when Jesus saw how Mary was sad, when Jesus saw how Martha was sad, the Bible says these two simple words, Jesus wept. And we see, it's hard to see the picture there of Jesus, but we can see the words. And it says, Jesus wept. Jesus felt very, very sad. And Jesus felt very, very bad. And the Bible teaches us that he was sad and mad for two reasons. One, he was sad and mad. He was sad because Mary and Martha were sad and he loved them. But he was also mad. He was mad because there were people there that didn't believe in him, that didn't believe he cared about them, that didn't know how much he loved them. And he wanted them to see the power that he had. He wanted them to see how much he loved them. And so you know what he did? He said, Lazarus. Come out of the grave. Lazarus, come back alive. And you know what happened? He did. God rose Lazarus from the dead. And now, do you think Mary and Martha were crying? I think they were, maybe. The tears of happiness now. And you know what? That's what God will do for us. When we bring our tears to him, and we're going through hard times, even when we're facing times where somebody we love has died. God gives us hope because the story, you know, and your mommy's with Jesus. And when she was here, she was telling us that she wanted us to know she knew she would be with Jesus. And that is the exact hope that Lazarus gives to us of what Jesus did, is that just like Jesus rose Lazarus, Jesus rose your mommy, and Jesus will raise us, and we will be with him forever. There's a verse in the last book of the Bible. Anybody know the name of the last book of the Bible? What is it? Close, close. What, what is it? Revelation. Very good. And in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, the Bible tells us that when we get to heaven... There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sadness. There'll be no more sorrow. And there'll be no more death. No more. No more bullies. No more hurting. No more crying. And these are the things that God wants us to have. And these are the promises that God gives to us because of Jesus. And when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead... Jesus was showing us the promise of what he does for all of us when we follow him and love him and obey what he teaches us because he cares about us. He's the perfect heavenly father 
and he cares for you. So you're going to go back to your classes now and learn much more about what Jesus said and did and the love that he has for us and how he gives us hope and how he gives us his love and how he'll wipe away all of our tears. Let's pray, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us and for this morning and, and just for these children. Lord, the children here are our love. We love them and, and we would die for them in an instant that they might have life. And Lord, you did that for us because we are your children. And you'd look at us and you said, I would die for them because I love them. And so you sent Jesus. And you did. But you didn't just die. You rose back to life again. And you give us the hope of life now, abundant and full, and eternal life forever. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to grow closer to you all the time and to know your love, that you will wipe away our tears. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Great job. Thanks for listening so carefully. Pre-K and K, are you here? Are there any pre-K and Kers here? Yes? Yes? Okay, so pre-K and K, you're going out to the back, and um, you're going in that direction, all right, towards Uncle Daryl, over there to your right, my left. And then uh, first grade and second grade, where are you going? First grade and second grade? Over to the right with Auntie Elaine. Okay, and then uh, third and fourth grade, where are they going? Auntie, third, Auntie Sammy. And fourth and fifth grade, fourth and grade, grade, Uncle Eric in the back. Great job. Okay, we are in the story, and we're at a time where God is speaking to us through his word, and we're hearing different things, and, and we also are at a time where we want to put our faith into practice. In the New Testament, we see that so oftentimes when people were following Jesus, Jesus gave them a command, a charge, and told them to go out into the world and make disciples. And you know, this is what you and I are commanded and called to do. And so I want to bring our hearts back to the announcement about VBS. And if you would just pull out um, the green sheet there. And, you know, we had um, our little actress, Rebecca, there, and and she just um, tugs at our heart, but no less does she tug at our heart than all the children that we serve and the opportunity that we have. And I, I seriously, if, if you're a regular attender here at Harvest, maybe if you're a visitor and you go, you know what, I'd, I'd be willing to help out for a day. Um, you don't have to help out all five days. Um, you can actually help even before VBS starts. There's a lot of work that needs to be done before VBS starts. You certainly can pray. And so... I want to encourage you that right now you would just fill this out. Write your name on there. And even if you're not sure yet what you might do, what we want is we want VBS not just to be a service of a few people who really are excited about serving, but we want it to be a service of the whole church to the community. We want it to be an activity that shows who we are as a church and who we are as a body and who we are to the community. And so I want to encourage you to write your name there and fill it out, and um, you can just mark the second box. I would like more information if you're not sure yet. Um, but the one area that I, I know all of us can write down there is we can all write down, I can pray. I can pray. And you can put your email there, and we can give you specific prayer requests that we're praying about for UBS. But if you turn it over, um, 
If you get bored during the sermon, you can look at this and um, you can figure out, you know, there's something else here that'd be more exciting to do than listen to the sermon. Um, and so you could figure out something there that you might want to do. Uh, but you know what? I, I would actually be more excited about you doing this than just saying, wow, you know, I came in and heard a sermon today. Or even if I really liked the sermon. Because it's what we do, not just what we hear, that matters. It's how we give, not just what we get, that really matters. And when we receive the Word of God, the test that we receive the Word of God isn't that we can answer a test about hearing the Word of God. It's about how it changed our life and how it moved us into some form of action. And so I really, really want to encourage you to um, get ready, write something there, even if you say, you know what, I would just like more information about something I could do, um, even for a day to help out with VBS. And certainly, all of us know somebody that we can invite. All of us know somebody that we can invite. And so I want to take your attention then to the other um, announcement there, the purple one, okay? And we're going to be talking about that a little bit later. Uh, but just as a reminder, you know, who do you want to invite? Who do you know that you would like to invite to VBS, to the Good Friday service, to Easter service, to our picnic, to our egg hunt? Just people that you know that need to know the love of Jesus. Because that's what it is about for a church that's healthy and for a church that's growing. You know, we're not just trying to bring people here on Sunday, but we are trying to reach out to people and know them as people. Because that's what our message is about today. How did God show us that he wanted to get to know us? What did he do? Did he, you know, did he send a lot of um, flyers? Um, did he just do a lot of things to show his name up in the clouds? Did he shake the earth and send a loud voice? You know, no, he didn't. You know, he sent a baby. He sent a child so that we could know him. So that we wouldn't be afraid of him and so that he would grow up just like we grow up through all the stages of life and know that God knows how we feel. And so he personally came to invite us into his family. And that's what he wants us to do too, to know people. And so I encourage you to, to, to write down on the air flyer there, who do you want to invite to VBS? Who do you want to invite to Good Friday service? Who do you want to invite to Easter? And then do it. But we'll begin praying for them. And so this is our challenge today. Even as we read the word of God and hear about Jesus, the Son of God, this is what he did. He came that we would know him, and we came that we might know his love. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, um, as we gather right now, Lord, we just come to you in prayer. And Lord, I come to you. And Lord, I ask that you would forgive me. Because so often, almost every day, I feel this tension that I, that I think life is all about me. And I pray, Lord, that you would not only forgive me, but deliver me from this kind of thinking. And realize that life isn't about me, but you gave life into all of us. And to the one who gives life and to the one who saved our life, Lord, we would think that it would only be right and fitting and good that we would let our lives and our thoughts and our focus be about you. And you tell us that the greatest commandment of all is to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to do that today. And then you said that it's not enough just to do that, but there's something else that fulfills the first commandment, 
And it's the second one, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Lord, when we do that, we fulfill the law of love and the spirit of love by knowing that you came to us, that we might love you and love others and care about them. And Father, we pray that in this day, as we see how you care about us, our hearts would be moved to care more and more about others. Lord, help us, we pray, to do this in the power of your word, in the love you give us. Through Jesus, we pray. Amen. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is a name that just everybody in the world knows. And as we might do today, and as millions of people do around the world, maybe even billions now, if you want to know something, all you do is Google it, right? And so I went to Google, and I just typed in, who is Jesus? And up came 119 million hits right away. 119 million, 120 million hits, answers about Jesus. Who is Jesus? And then as you look down there, the very first one says, welcome to who is Jesus? And then there's a question, and it says, really? Because out of the 119 million hits, you're going to get a lot of opinions about Jesus. Probably 119 million. And so that first one asked the right question. Really? Are you sure? Who is Jesus really? And that's what today's message is about. Because we have lots of messages about Jesus. If you go to Google Images, right, you'll see that there's lots of pictures about Jesus. Right? And you can see pictures and pictures about Jesus, statues about Jesus. You can find Jesus caring for children. You can find Jesus that looks more Asian. You can find Jesus that looks more African-American. But nowadays you find Jesus and he looks sort of like Brad Pitt. Um, so the next Jesus here is the Son of God, right? And so here we have Jesus as a hunk. And, um, and so this was the most recent movie that just came out. And it's actually a very good movie. came out about a month ago. It's still in the theaters, I think, in some places. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, right? But so many pictures, so many images, so many messages. How do I know it's real? How do I know it's real? It's so important. It's so important that Jesus brought it down to a question, too. Jesus brought it down to a question about our minds and about what we think about. A.W. Tozer, in a wonderful little book called The Knowledge of the Holy, raises this, and he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You will know more about somebody else when you know about what they think about Jesus. And that's what God wants us to know. When we ask a question of somebody, we do it for at least two reasons. One reason is because we want to know what they know. And usually those are like our teachers, parents, authority figures. They ask us questions. It's because they want to know what we know. 
But in a much larger scale, when we ask questions of people, I think it's because we want to know them. We ask questions because we want to know who they are. And then they ask questions because they want to know who we are. And that's why I think Jesus asks the most important question in all the world. The one thing. The one question. The most important question. The ultimate question. What is it? Jesus asked this question. Who do you say I am? That's the question before us today. Who do you say I am? And a lot of us, maybe even all of us here, will get the right answer. We may say, well, you already told us, it's the Son of God. We may get the right answer. We may say the correct thing, but it's not about that. To get the answer right is to know Jesus. To know him in a real way. In an authentic way. And so this question comes to me and it comes to you. And it's on your outline. Is Jesus real and authentic to you? Is Jesus real and authentic to you? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. But maybe you would say, you know what, I, I just sort of know what to do. Just sort of in a rut. I'm in a habit. I know the right answers. And so if I was honest, I'd say, you know what? I, a lot of times I'm just sort of playing the part. I'm just sort of going through the motions. Because I know the right answers. I know what I'm supposed to do. But is he really real? Is he really authentic to me? Jesus brings himself to us today. And he says to us, as we look through the word, and as we consider what God's teaching us here in the story, and we're, you know, we're all the way up to chapter 25, and there's only 31 chapters, so we're almost done. But we'll never be done knowing about Jesus. And God wants us to read the word, not so that we can say, I read the word, but so that the word can read us. So that God's word can read us. So that God can work into our lives the word and it can be in us so that it produces life. This is when it's real. It's when, when life happens to us. And so there's four ways that we'll see today that, that Jesus is real and authentic to us. And if just one of them really speaks to your heart today, you can go home today and be letting that transform your life and change you and make you a stronger and more vibrant person this week. No matter whether you've been a Christian for 30 years or you're not yet a Christian, you can come to God and know him as a real person. And the first way that Jesus presents this to us is to let us know that Jesus is real. Jesus is real when we experience him as the son of the living God, as the son of the living God. If you want to open up the story, you can open up to chapter 25. And the very first words there are from Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Or if you want to just open up your Bible, you can go to Mark chapter 8, verse 27. And I'll read it. You can follow along. Chapter 25 in the story or Mark 28, verse 27. And there it says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? 
Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. Matthew, he recorded that Jesus also said, that Peter also said, You are the Messiah. And then Peter said, The Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the one we have been waiting for. You are our deliverer and our redeemer. And you are the son of the living God. Caesarea Philippi was the perfect place for Jesus to bring about the truth of his identity to his disciples. Caesarea Philippi was the seedbed of all kinds of world religions of that day. If it was a restaurant, it would be a buffet. Right? You could just get anything you want there. If it was um, a shopping mall, all right, you could get any kind of God you wanted there. Uh, Baal was worshipped there, the God of the Canaanites. Baal was worshipped there. Um, there was the Syrian gods were there. Right? Caesar had been worshipped there as, as the royal god, as the leader of the Roman Empire. The Greek god Pan was worshipped there. There were all kinds of temples, all kinds of statues, all kinds of evidence of people who worshipped a God. But none of them were living. None of them were alive. And so when Peter was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he said, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God, he was given a fresh and new revelation that didn't come from him, but directly from God. Jesus hadn't told him that yet. God put it in Peter. And God will do that for us too. As we look at the word of God and we see what Jesus says about himself. Jesus wants us to know that he's not just a good teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a leader of some world religion. He is God. And if he isn't, then he is a fraud, and we are deceived. C.S. Lewis, uh, the man who wrote the Narnia series, um, was known while he was alive to be a great professor. He taught at Cambridge, and he taught at Oxford. He, he was a, a man, an intellect, but he was an apologist, and he spoke for the Christian faith after he himself had been an agnostic and atheist for most of his life and he came to know Jesus. He came to know Jesus using his mind as well as his heart. And he wrote a book uh, about Christianity called Mere Christianity. And in it, he writes these words. And, and it's sort of called C.S. Lewis's Trilemma. Okay, so like instead of a dilemma, it's a trilemma. And in it, he says this. He says, I am trying here in his apologist, uh, apologetic work. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil in hell. And so he goes on, and he says, now think about it. Jesus said, I am God. 
Just think about what would you think if anybody in this world was going around taking out ads, putting them on the internet, putting them on TV, putting them on text to you, you were getting them all over the place, and he said, I am God. What would you think? And that's what Jesus was doing in the world as he lived at that time. And so C.S. Lewis um, says this. He says, you know, you can think of Jesus when he says, I am God, you can come to three conclusions. Okay, and there's a little chart here that will help us to see it. Jesus said, I am God. Okay. Now, if it's true, if it's true, then we must come to the conclusion that Jesus is God. That he is the Messiah. That he is Lord. Now, if it's false, and Jesus is insincere, and he knows that he's not telling the truth, then Jesus is a liar. But if Jesus truly thinks he is God, but he's not, he's sincere, but he's wrong, then as C.S. Lewis says, he's a lunatic. Right? I mean, anybody who sends out world, worldwide notices, creates a Facebook page, tweets, puts it all over the newspapers, puts it all over the television, puts it all over the movie theaters, and says, I am God, would be a lunatic, right? Unless he was. And so throughout the scriptures, we see this. Jesus declaring himself to be God. In John chapter 8, 58, he claims himself to be the eternal God. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. Remember in the Old Testament when, when Moses Oops. Okay. Maybe you can change that and make it visible. Thank you. Um, when, when Moses was out in the desert, right? We read that early on in the story. Moses was out in the desert, and then there was a flaming bush. And Moses goes, whoa! You know, bush on fire, bush not burning up. Something special is happening here, right? So he starts to go towards the bush. And then a voice says, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. So he takes off his shoes and he goes up to the bush and Moses starts talking to the bush and the bush says, I am God. I'm God. Moses says, who are you? He says, I'm God. And I'm going to send you on a mission to deliver God's people. And Moses says, well, who am I supposed to tell them sending me? What's your name, God? And God says, my name is I am. In other words, I always am. I have always been. I am now, and I shall always be. I am eternal. And so God introduces himself to the Hebrew people with those two words, I am. And Jesus is introducing himself to the people of his day in John 8, 58, by saying, before Abraham was born, I am. So I am God. I am the eternal God. Jesus also says in John 8, 12, that he is the creator of life. And not just the creator of life, he is the power to sustain and keep life going. The only reason you and I are still alive right now is not just because Jesus created us, it's because he keeps us alive. And if at any moment our time is over, it's over. But he is keeping us alive until that time. In John 8, 12, 
Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life. And then Jesus says, not only am I the creator and sustainer of life, not only am I the eternal God, I am greater I am greater than everything in this world. I am from above and you are from below. I am greater than your story. I am the upper story and you are the lower story. And in your lower story, you struggle with things that are good and you struggle with things that are bad. And I am greater than all of them. I am greater than sin. In John 8, 23, Jesus says, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. So Jesus is saying, I am greater than sin. And that is good news. And so Jesus wants us to know he is real by knowing who he is as a son of the living God that does all these things and does all these things throughout the world and does all these things for us. Jesus also wants us to know that he is real when we come to him to meet our deepest needs. When we come to him to meet our true and real needs. In John 7, 37 through 38, the Bible says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Three times in our passages throughout this chapter 25 of the story, we see that Jesus shouts. He uses a loud voice. And what he's saying here in a loud voice is that everybody who has a deep desire for having a life whose feeling is very much that my thirst has been satisfied. You want that. If that's your need, come to me and I will do it. I will meet your deepest needs. He's not just saying, I'm going to give you a drink of water. Okay? He's not just saying that I want to give you a drink of water and you take a sip and it satisfies your needs for that moment. He's saying something much more. He's saying that you need water to live. And I am that who gives you the fulfillment of that need. I give you life. You know, so oftentimes we think we, we need things, right? If you're a parent, you know, you've heard that from your children. You know, they go into a toy store. I need this. You know, I just got to have this. You know, it's, it, it's, it's my life won't be life without this. You know, I need this puppy. I need this, this doll. You know, I need money. I need to go out with my friends. I need that dress. I, you know, I, I need this new technology. Um, one of the parents, real, real story here. One of the parents here from Harvest came to me and told me that their young daughter um, needed an iPhone. Right? Needed an iPhone. So her birthday was coming up, and she said, Mommy, I, I, I want an iPhone um, for my birthday. And her mommy said, No. And she said, everybody has a smartphone. And her mommy said, um, not everybody. And so she said, who? And she goes, well, for one, Pastor Curtis. Okay? <laughs> Pastor Curtis doesn't have a smartphone. And, um, and so the daughter, and it's true, and the daughter looked up at her mom, incredulous. Oh, uh, and, but, but listen to this. This is what she said. She believed her mommy, and she said, Oh, maybe if I can get some of my friends together, 
maybe we could give Pastor Curtis a smartphone. Isn't that sweet? That's great. You know, like, she doesn't need a smartphone. And I don't need a smartphone. But I need love. And when that little girl, when that mommy told me, like, oh, I felt loved. Right? You know, maybe we can get some friends together and get her water. You know, you don't need anything this world offers. You don't really need anything that you can buy or get. But you need love. And I need love. And I need friends. And I need hope. And I need priorities that make life meaningful. I need character. I need integrity. I need purpose. And Jesus says, I am the living water that gives you that. I am the living water that fulfills your deepest needs. And when you come to me to fill that need, I'll be real to you. Jesus also goes on in chapter 12 of John, and he, he wants to tell us that he is real to us when we walk in his light and when we stay out of sin. Jesus is real to us when we experience what it means to be, as we sang, to truly be holy, as God wants us to be holy. And so here again, we read a second time where Jesus shouts. And in John chapter 12, verse 44, it says, Then Jesus cried, and the word could be translated shouted, When Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into this world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus is real to us like we experience real life when there's light out in the world. We go, what a beautiful day today is. And we go out and we scamper and have fun in the light. We're experiencing life. We have to walk in that light. If we go into the darkness, we go into a room where there's no light, we won't experience life. If we want to know Jesus and real life, just like in our everyday world, we have to walk in the light. We have to walk in the light of the sun. We have to know his love for us. We have to know his forgiveness. We know that he doesn't condemn us, but he gives us life and he gives us hope. In 1 John, and you have this written down in your outline, 1 John 1, verse 7, it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Jesus is speaking to us here. Speaking to us here. And he's saying, I want you to walk with me. I want you to walk in the light. And what that means is I want you to walk according to the hope that I give you. I want you to walk according to the instructions I give you in my word. I want you to walk with me all day long. I want you to think about me as you're out in the sunlight. I want you to think about me when you're at work. I want you to live in the light. I want you to do what is right. And I want you to stay out of darkness. I don't want you to live in any kind of sin. There's nothing 
more meaningful in our life than knowing that you have been able to shed the burden of the habit of a sin that you know makes you feel guilty. You know, I'm not here to make you feel guilty. God's not here to make you feel guilty. The reality is that sin is what makes us feel guilty. It's the sin that we do that makes us feel guilty. It's not God. It's not the preacher. It's, it's the way we were made. It's a good thing, right? We want our kids to have a conscience. God has given us a conscience, and that conscience is that we are programmed so that whenever we do something in the darkness, we bear a burden of sin. And God says, I don't want you to have that. And so I want you to walk in the light and have fellowship with one another. It's the second part, the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself, to walk in fellowship with one another, to be together with one another, to love each other, to care for each other. And then God's word says that when we do this, when we walk in the light and we seek him, we stay out of sin, we stay out of darkness, when we seek to have true fellowship with one another, sharing our lives together, worshiping God together, coming together, keeping God as our first priority, then we know what it means to have Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, the one who has forgiven us with his blood because we experience this new life that we are walking in. For me, when I came to know Jesus, that was that moment that I understood for the first time what it meant that now I had life and that this life was meant to be shared with other people. And that's what God wants us to have, to not feel alone, to not be alone, but to share with each other, to not walk in sin. So maybe this is where God is speaking to you today, to me, to us. Are we walking in the light? Are we walking in sin? Because to know him in a real way, we will revel in coming out of the darkness and shedding the burden of our guilt and knowing the power of being with other people, sharing and giving life together. And Jesus is real to us, fourthly, when we put our hope in him. Jesus is real to us when we put our hope on his resurrection. We put our hope on his resurrection. We face many trials and pains in this life, just like Mary and Martha did when their brother Lazarus was dying. They had sent a message to Jesus. Jesus wasn't far away, just a few miles away. And they sent a message to Jesus, said, Jesus, please come. Your friend, our brother Lazarus, is dying. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus heard about that, he stayed where he was. He had ministry to do. He had light to share right there. And then because he didn't go to be with Lazarus right away, Lazarus died. Four days later, Jesus arrives. And we read in John eleven twenty one, the words of Martha. She runs out to see Jesus. And she says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. 
And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Would you believe this? A question. Very similar to who do you say that I am? And Jesus says, do you believe this? Is there a place in your life where you need hope? What's the Lazarus of your life? Where is there a place in your life maybe where you feel like you have prayed and you have asked Jesus to come and it just seems like he's not there yet? You said, Jesus, I know you love me. I know you care. Please come. But he's not there yet and your Lazarus dies. Where's your hope? It hurts. It hurt for Martha. It hurts for us. It hurts for Mary. The other sister, Mary, heard that Jesus was coming, and she ran to Jesus. And she said the same thing Martha said. Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Have you ever felt that way? God, if you'd just been here, this wouldn't have happened. Why did this happen, God? Why weren't you here with us? That you, like me, like Martha, like Mary, have felt that pain. And it hurt Jesus, too. And so the Bible says that when Jesus saw Mary's pain, he had already saw Martha's pain. In verse 35 of John 11, the Bible says, and we saw that with the children, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And then the Bible says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But then some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? And Jesus felt pain. He felt the pain of Mary and Martha. He felt the pain of knowing of what death does and what sin does to people. But he also felt the pain of people who were ridiculing him. People who were jeering him. People who were skeptical. People who were being sarcastic. Well, if he really loved him, he would have been there. He wouldn't have let him die. You know, if God really loved you, he wouldn't let you go through this trial. If God really loved you, he wouldn't let you go through those four days or 40 nights or four years or 40 years of the desert. If God really loved you, he wouldn't let you go through that. That's what the skeptics say. That's what the sarcastics say. That's what the enemies say to us. And God says, no. No. And so with emotion and with pain and with feeling, the Bible tells us in verse 43, Jesus called out in a loud voice. Now he's got all this emotion in him. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And the Bible says very simply, the dead man came out. Dead man his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let them go. God wants to take off the burdens. 
God wants to take off the shroud of death. God wants to take off the things that are burdening us and tearing us down and holding us back from trusting him. Because he will say to us one day, come out. Come up. Come be with me. This is our hope. We do not see miracles like Lazarus happening in our world, nor were they meant to. Lazarus is a story that shows us Jesus' power over death in a physical way, so we will know his power over death in a more important way, and that is in a spirit way, that God will raise all of us from the dead. And that hope has to hold us through all the trials of life. That is the ultimate hope. Not just that we're going to get through our daily trials. Not just that we're going to get through our secular problems. Not just that we're going to get through the lower story issues. But that ultimately, all those things, even if they're answered on earth, there's a greater hope for us. We read this in 1 Peter 1, 3-4. And again, that is on your outline. And it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. Where is our greatest hope? It is kept in heaven for you. Do you have any hope that will perish? Do you have any hope that might spoil? God says there's a greater hope, one that is kept in heaven for you. Mention to the children that someday Jesus will say something to us in heaven. And the Bible says in Revelation 4, 21, verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. How do we know that Jesus is real to us? Jesus is real to us and authentic to us, but no matter what we are going through, we accept the fact that he gives us hope. He gives us hope. He will wipe away every tear someday. Maybe they're in bottles. Maybe he'll just let us know with his own touch that he's understood all along what you're going through. I want to bring you to the throne of God who says, I am making everything new. Imagine now, you're walking up to the throne of God. Where is he speaking to you? Where do you need Jesus to be real? One of the four of our points today. I want you just to think about it. You can bow your heads now if you want. But is Jesus real to you as the living God? Is he real to you as a living person with you? Or secondly, maybe it's just there's a need that's just on your mind right now, a need that just really needs to be brought to God.
You're feeling it. It's real. He cares. A deep need. What is it? What living water does Jesus offer to you to meet that need? Jesus, is he real to you in your walk? And Are you walking in his light? Is there sin that you just really want to be rid of? Know this, that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And he didn't come to punish you for his sin, for your sin. He came to be punished for our sins. And he has. And it is finished. And he forgives. Jesus is real to us when we turn away from our sin and we walk in his light. And Jesus is real to us where we need to have his hope. Maybe you're in those four days symbolically of darkness, of shadows, of sorrow, and of pain. But Jesus says he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Someday, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. As you've identified that place where you want Jesus to be real, would you just ask him to be real to you there now? today. Heavenly Father, as we come before you and we turn to you, help us, Lord, to just know your peace and know your hope. Help us to turn to you and know you love us and care. What we've brought to you, our needs, Lord, thank you that you take them and you take us. You fill us and you give us hope. You give us life. Lord, I pray that every prayer that was prayed will continue to be prayed, that we would know your presence with us all the time. Lord, help us, we pray. In your name, amen.